Before we begin today's episode, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. This is such a serious topic and there is so much misinformation out there that it's really important that you get the facts from a qualified professional. Now, we don't go into Rachel's actual profession or her full name because A, weirdos on the internet, and B, we wanted her to be able to speak freely and candidly. So just so you know, I've worked with Rachel in a professional capacity, um, doing numerous outreach events, and she is the real deal. She's also presented at conferences. She's legit. She knows what she's talking about, and I'm super grateful also to her for doing this episode. If you're familiar with the podcast, you know that those are my dogs in the background, and they do that every time I start recording, so we're just going to keep going. Anyways, welcome to Talking Shit About. I'm your host, Elizabeth Whipperman, where each month I bring on a guest to talk about something they love, something they hate, and hopefully by the end we've all learned something. This month we're talking about fentanyl, which it's peak depression season right now. I feel like it's a good time. A good time probably would have been like eight years ago, but the show didn't exist back then, so we're doing it now. Anyways, the dogs are going, absolutely, you've never been interested in that box, and now you're chewing on that box, I swear to God. Anyways, let's just get into the interview. Don't worry, there's no dogs during it. Let's talk some shit. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I have friends that are firefighters, and I know that they use soap. And she was screaming at me over but this, I am not ever talking to a Scientologist again. These people are all insane. I'm putting my bricks in the dumpsters, motherfuckers. Do you see me, bitches? I'm throwing my bricks. And he's just like chucking bricks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talking Shit About. Today, I am here with my friend Rachel, who works in harm reduction services here with me in Tillamook County. Rachel, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hello, I am doing good. Thank you so much for having me. Um, really excited. This is my first podcast. Woohoo! Yes, I'm so excited to have you on as a guest because I've heard you present on the well, A, you're just an amazing person, but yeah. B, I've heard you present on this topic that we're gonna talk about for. And so I know you're knowledgeable. I know you have a ton of experience and yeah, I'm very excited. Yeah, no, my last two years, my last two years in my public health career have mainly been focused around uh, fentanyl and substance use um, and just harm reduction, especially in rural communities. So um, I am not new to this conversation and I'm excited to have it at least on a platform where I can send to other people. Um, there's a lot of misinformation around fentanyl and, you know, just our drug supply in general. Um, as well as what harm reduction is and isn't. And this conversation can only happen so many times by me. So it's really great to have it on, you know, a recorded platform for other folks to kind of, you know, hear the facts. There's a lot of information in the media and just politicians and everyone else who has their uh, their own opinions on it. So it's always nice to, you know, have a platform to just speak truth. That is so true. Yeah. And then next time somebody asks you about fentanyl, you can just be like, here's the link. Go listen. Um. Yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> I was talking with a friend who's teaching an addictions 101 course in Portland as an adjunct professor. And I had mentioned to her today that I was doing this and she was like, oh my God, send me the link. I'll, I'll have like my students, you know, listen to it and do a synopsis. Like it'll be an assignment. So uh, really excited to see yeah, what we can do with this. Awesome. 
All right, well, let's just go ahead and dive right in. We've got some some ground to cover. So what exactly is fentanyl? Yeah, so fentanyl is, it's, it's a big one. Um, it's a powerful synthetic opioid. Um, it's similar to morphine, but when we say similar, it's like similar effects. However, it's 52, like 100 times more potent. Um, it was originally created uh, for... Uh, to treat the pain and uh, cancer treatment patients. So it had a job and it does it damn well. Um, fentanyl is short. It's got a short life. Uh, it's fast acting with a short life, meaning that it goes to work really quickly and it goes out of your system really quickly, meaning you're going to need more of it, um, meaning it's got a higher chance of being addictive. Um, so, you know, why are people using it and why are they choosing to? Well, it, it gets you real, real high. Um, it does a good job at what it was originally created for. And anytime that happens, there's always the chance of, you know, misusing uh, something like that. Um, so fentanyl originally created again for uh, the treatment of cancer patients. However, what we are seeing now um, is synthetic opioids that are being, um, the chemicals are being synthesized in China, then they're being sent over and being created in Mexico, which are then being drove over our borders and then distributed and poisoned into a, our entire drug supply. Um, any drug you get off of the street, if it doesn't come from your pharmacist with your name prescribed on that orange bottle or whatever color it comes from from your pharmacist, you can assume and you should assume that it has fentanyl in it. Um, and it's just, it's it's caused all our overdose deaths in the state, uh, in America to double since 2018. And now in 2024, we're on track for our 2023 numbers to have doubled 2022. So that's doubling every year, not just like, oh, every year since 2018. Um, so these wow. numbers are just getting astronomical. So what forms does fentanyl come in? I've heard powders and pills. Uh, we're mostly seeing it in powders and pills. Um, there are patches of fentanyl. So I will give the caveat because it always comes up. Someone always wants to bring it up. There absolutely are um, transdermal patches for fentanyl, just like there are like a nicotine patch you can think of, right? So something that is created very specifically and formulated in a way that it will go through your skin's uh your skin's barrier. Um, so those do exist. Those are heavily monitored uh, in medical settings. Uh, in, in Tillamook County, where we're at, I have not, in the three years I've been doing these trainings and been in this work, I've not heard a single first responder, anybody share out a story where they've been on an overdose call because of a patch. Um, so really what we are seeing and what's happening in our, um, in our drug supply is powders and pills. Um, and it's powders being pressed into pills. Um, and so these, this powder, uh, as small as a grain of salt, is the amount of a novelty user it takes to overdose and to cause death. And so when we say a grain of salt, we say novelty user, we're talking about folks who are not choosing to use opioids daily. They have no tolerance in their system. In their mind, they believe that they're doing something like cocaine. Or, you know, they're taking a friend's Xanax pill, but it's not a friend's Xanax pill. It's a pressed bar that's actually just 
um, fentanyl powder. And if you have zero tolerance, it takes maybe a grain of salt amount to cause an overdose. So it's it's extremely detrimental because nobody's really getting an experimental um, phase. Nobody gets to experiment with drugs. There There is no safe supply at all anymore. What color is it usually? It comes in all different colors. Um, mostly it's a white powder, um, white to kind of maybe brown. Um, it can come in kind of a crystal form as well. Um, however, we've also seen um, purple and blue fentanyl powder has actually been really popular in the state of Oregon and in Tillamook County. Um, so it comes in it really uh, back, especially during the pandemic, we heard a lot about rainbow fentanyl. Um, so it coming in all different colors. I've seen, um, you know, uh, public health reports come out about like, you know, green fentanyl in certain counties. So I, I think it, it really is dependent on where you're at and what the trend is of the time. Um, but mostly it is a white powder. Okay. And I want to go back to how quickly you can overdose because A, that's terrifying, but B, there are some myths surrounding overdosing with fentanyl. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I feel like there were a ton of stories coming out in the news, like a cop car, a cop opens up the trunk of a car and overdoses from being near fentanyl and stuff like that. So what do you have to do in order to get an, or um, what, am, what are the words I'm thinking of? Yeah, experience um, an overdose. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so, so on record to date, there is not a single person who has overdosed from touching fentanyl or being around it. So all of those um, OPB actually did a really great article where they went back and examined a lot of those stories, right? Because there were a ton of those coming out because really at first when we did hear about fentanyl, we didn't know a ton about it. So we had assumed that it could go, you know, you could absorb it through your skin. And it was a danger to be around, even if it was in the air and someone was smoking around it. Um, we had those thoughts because we didn't know a ton about it. It was new and it was scary. Well, we have studies and we have science. Um, the University of Washington, I think, was the first one to put it out there, but others are following suit. Um, I'm actually working with OHA right now to create their fentanyl exposure resources to share out across the state. You can't, there is no on record overdose of any law enforcement or person uh, overdosing from touching fentanyl. So they went back, OPB went back and they examined a lot of those stories and they looked at what happened with the officers, right? So they were in a locker room, they were exposed to fentanyl somehow by either touching it or it op the bag opened in the locker room. So what happened? Their heart rate started pounding. They may have fainted. They, you know, really when it comes down to it and the toxicology reports coming back with zero opioids in their system, they had a panic attack. And rightfully so, because again, we have been telling people that you can and will die if you touch it because we didn't know, you know, the misinformation was so far out of our reach. So a lot of those reactions and a lot of those stories you heard, all of the toxicology reports that have come back from those reports, not a single one has come back with opioids in those officer systems, meaning it was never ingested in their system, meaning they were never overdosing to begin with. Um, how are people ingesting fentanyl? Is it mostly smoking? Yes. Um, smoking is kind of a smoking, um, taking in a pill form. Um, so just ingesting it um, in a pill or powder, um, snorting it is another pretty popular way. Unfortunately, there was this really 
this really weird shift. Um, and I guess it's been like this for a while and I'm just newer to fentanyl is I came into harm reduction when fentanyl was really big. So fentanyl is truly all I know with harm reduction and some of my older harm reduction pals who were, you know, back when heroin was pure, it, it, the, the, the drugs were just different and the way that we treat things are different. So um, typically there's this misconception with people who um, who use drugs that smoking it is safer and that you cannot overdose while smoking it. Um, so when fentanyl hit the scene and fentanyl was being introduced into folks heroin and they were injecting it and they were overdosing, folks started to actually switch to smoking their drugs instead because in their minds they thought it was safer and that they could not overdose. However, you take too much of any drug anyway and you will overdose. Um, it was just a really interesting shift with fentanyl that that people and to this day at the exchange that I work at, we have people who come in and tell us that, you know, they're going to smoke because they they don't think they can overdose or like they were told that they can't overdose if they're smoking, uh, which is always a good education piece and just, you know, a good, you know, hey, well, why don't you take extra Narcan just in case, right? And like, you know, so you can help your buddy out. And uh, it's always just a good touch point. But a lot of people are smoking their fentanyl. We on the West Coast are fortunate enough to have a like a year to like year and a half lag of the East Coast. So typically they predict our trends. So things happen there before they kind of trickle down over here to us. And we unfortunately are starting to see on the East Coast, a lot of people are starting to inject their fentanyl. So smoking it and that route is not getting it into their system enough. And so injecting is like the next step up, um, which is really unfortunate, but it is a way that drugs do kind of trend. So um, we're kind of expecting to see a lot more folks um, injecting their fentanyl on the West Coast. Uh, right now, I think it's mostly smoking. And we touched on it a little bit, but how exactly does fentanyl affect the body? Like what kind of high are people experiencing? Uh, I mean, it's pretty euphoric. It's, it's, it's like morphine. Um, I mean, I'm trying to like think, I mean, it's just extreme happiness, drowsiness, um, confusion. Uh, but the big thing is, is that it's, you know, it, it's an opioid and opioids affect breathing. Um, and when you have too many opioids in your system, um, they, so opioids bind to the receptors in your brain that control the autotomic functions of uh, your body. So your breathing, blinking, heart rate, blood rate, like those kinds of things that those receptors are in charge of. When you put opioids on those, it makes it a little blurry. And so you can have a hard time breathing um, and just like, uh, normal body functions can typically have a hard time. So that's why some people can get nauseous or have diarrhea. It just affects certain parts of your body. Opioids do. Um, but when you have an overdose of opioids, so when you have too much, they bind to those receptors and it starts to weigh them so far down, it drowns out those functions. So you stop breathing your, um, the oxygen stops flowing to the rest of your body. And that's what that's when you go unconscious and that's when you you can you know die if nobody intervenes at that point and do you know of any long-term side effects from fentanyl all all substance use at, at a core is going to take effect on all of your body systems um i don't have specific um effects because i think unfortunately we haven't really seen a lot of long-term effects 
Um, this fentanyl pandemic is so new. And so we may have some folks who from just long term use in controlled settings or other, you know, situations. But truly, we haven't seen fentanyl on on this level. It, it started in 2018. And it's just gotten so much worse. And unfortunately, I don't think that there's a lot of people and I hate to really say this, but I don't think there's a lot of people that are going to survive this long enough for us to really study the long term effects. Um, if we don't do something now. So it's unfortunate, but I mean, what I can say about fentanyl and its effects is that it, it's an opioid. So you build up tolerance to it in ways that you wouldn't other drugs. So when you have an opioid added into something like methamphetamine, that isn't something that the body necessarily is going to create a dependence to, but then you put an opioid that your body physically depends on, you start to see these people who are now physically dependent on methamphetamine. And it's now harder for them to get off all drugs, not just fentanyl, but they can't get off of now meth or, you know, whereas other times they could walk away or there were other means of, of treatment and things that worked. So that has been making it really, really difficult. Uh, we've not seen the level of physical dependency on drugs that we have since fentanyl has been introduced. Have you ever heard the term hotshot? Okay, so no, I had not heard it until you texted it to me. So I looked it up. Um, and it looks like, unfortunately, it's it was like the slang way to say that like it your your drugs are laced, right? And like that's that's like the the way I'm saying it because it looks like people said hot shot, meaning they knew that that the heroin had other drugs in it. Today, I would say everything is considered a hot shot, except for people are not being told that or are not expecting that. Yeah, from my understanding, and this is something like I've heard at work, I have no idea how like widespread this is or if it like changes depending the, on the demographic that you're talking to. But from the, and for context, listeners, I work in um, homeless services, but a hot shot is like you're right, something that's laced intentionally, but the intent, again, from like the conversation that I had, the intent is like death, is intentional overdose. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, that's not something that I, I guess I was hearing because that that's the thing. People ask me all the time. I So I do overdose prevention trainings and I've probably, I've done over 40 at this point. Um, and I've trained over 800 and something individuals. So a lot of different, um, folks and stuff. Okay. Okay. And then that's like, oh, sorry. I was like, where am I going with this? Um, and that's like one thing that gets brought up almost every training I go to is people ask, you know, well, are people overdosing intentionally? Like, are they doing it on purpose? I've never met someone at my exchange that, that truly wants to overdose, right? They do not like it's not something that they, you know, feel they can control. Even when we give them Narcan and we give them everything, it doesn't always work. And they've seen that firsthand. So none of these folks that I'm working with want to go into these and like not wake up. That's never been a conversation I've had. And that's always a question that comes up because I, working with um, like our Prime Plus peers, one of the things that they share that I think is a really hard concept to grasp, but once you do, it kind of opens your lens to harm reduction, is that being really high on an opiate or like heroin is so close to death. 
like that really high good feeling is just so close to death, but you're not there, right? You're not wanting to die. You just want to get close. You want to feel that warmth and then you want to come back to the world. So that's a really, you know, delicate place. But again, people don't want to die and they don't want to slip over into that place. But people have a hard time understanding how they can let themselves get there and st not want death. Like it's, it's a, it's truly an interesting concept, but yeah, that was, that was something that really opened my eyes is that, you know, being really high on heroin is really close to death. And when you reverse someone in an overdose, you know, a lot of the times they're really confused. They might lash out. They may, you know, be really pissed off at you because what naloxone does in an overdose is it puts you into opioid withdrawal, which is a really shitty feeling. Like your body hurts, like everything sucks. You're back to, and this is the thing, you probably have zero idea in that moment coming to that you were actually not breathing and you were unresponsive, right? You're just upset because someone fucked up your high. And, you know, in 20 minutes, once you realize and you deescalate and you explain to this person and they realize that you just saved their life, they're going to be a lot more thankful. But it may take that 20 minutes of deescalating because, again, they are going to have no idea what just happened or the fact that you probably just brought them back to life. Hey, Elizabeth here. The word I was looking for earlier was murder, as in people are murdering people with hot shots. So it's an intentional overdose of somebody else. I didn't articulate that very well. Either way, if someone offers you drugs, probably don't take them. If you're going to take them, get them from someone that's reputable. And if you're going to buy weed, buy it from a dispensary because you never know what's in it. Okay, back to the interview. Well, this is a good segue into talking about overdoses. I think you already kind of covered how an overdose occurs, but let's say you are out, could be anywhere, and you see someone and they're unresponsive and you suspect it might be an overdose. What do you do? Uh, so the first thing is if someone's unresponsive, I, I'm hopefully with someone else. And if not, I'm calling 911 or having them calling 911 and I'm immediately going up to the person um, if they're unresponsive on the ground or like they're sit somewhere, I'm going to try and put them on the ground in a safe place too. Um, I'm going to assess my scene first off as well. I'm not going to do this if like there's weird, you know, I'm going to make sure my safety is important as well because I don't want to cause harm to myself or others if I'm responding. Um, so I'll assess my scene, call 911, um, get down on my hands and knees, get this person on their back. And then I'm going to really make sure that they are truly unconscious. So um, if they are not breathing or um, if they are breathing. So that's the thing is if they're in like a deep nod, so they're still kind of responding every couple words, there's still a couple breaths coming out, but they're shallow. Um, I'm going to stay with that person. I'm going to monitor them and I'm going to make sure 911's on their way because that person could slip into an overdose. And I, you know, just want to make sure that they get medical attention. If they truly are unresponsive and I'm, they're unconscious on the ground, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and I'm going to do a nice sternum rub on, I'm going to take my knuckles and I'm going to really aggressively rub their sternum um, right in between their, um, their chest um, pretty hard because that's going to, um, sometimes you may come across someone who is napping or who has um, you know, maybe does live out on the streets and has been harassed by people telling them to, you know, move or whatever. So they don't want to respond. So if you do a sternum rub on someone and they truly are unresponsive, you then know you need to get into action. If they wake up and go, hey, buddy, move on, move on, right? Like move on, apologize and 
and get going. <laughs> but if they truly are unresponsive, again, we hope 911 is already being called and on the way. Um, at that point, I'm going to go ahead and start uh, CPR. Um, so I'm CPR certified. So I'm going to do 30 compressions to two rescue breaths. If you are not CPR certified in these situations, but you come across someone who is unconscious and not breathing, rescue breaths are some of the most important things that you can do to keep someone alive. Um, it just keeps the oxygen flowing to them. Um, even if you don't feel comfortable in like the chest compressions, that's okay. Two, uh, two breaths every about 30 seconds and really making sure you're lifting that, um, you know, tilting that chin up, you're plugging that nose and you're really blowing firmly in, um, trying to get the oxygen into their lungs, um, can really help and give, you know, give some time for the first responders to get there. Um, so I'm going to start two compressions, uh, or 30 compressions to two rescue rests. I'm going to do about two rounds of that. And then I'm going to go ahead and administer my first dose of uh, Narcan, Naloxone, whatever you have. Um, we give out injectable as well as nasal. I give out nasal to all of my community partners and to mostly general public, um, trying to ask anybody to inject anything into anybody under any circumstance is quite a lot, especially when it's a traumatic situation like an overdose. Um, so unless people ask for injectable naloxone, I give out nasal Narcan. So I go ahead and pull out my, um, I carry my little kit with me and it's got my little CPR mask and all of my little kits of Narcan and all my other goodies that I need. So I'd go ahead and pull out a dose. Um, while this person's still laying on their back, I would go ahead and give a full dose, uh, one dose of Narcan. And then at that point, if they do start to come back to and breathe, um, I would go ahead and put them into recovery position. So you lay them on your side, you bring their um, their top arm up and over. And then I think it's the underarm goes up and around and then you bring the knee up. Recovery position, look it up. I am <laughs> terrible at explaining it. I usually just sprawl myself across the floor, um, but that doesn't help on a podcast. Um, <laughs> but you want to put someone, if they do start to come to in that position, um, when you do reverse an overdose, folks can have all kinds of symptoms. So they're going to have, you know, probably body aches. They're going to have chills. They might throw up, you know, all kinds of symptoms. So you really want to get them into recovery position, if, especially if you're not going to continue on with CPR, um, because if they do come to and throw up, you don't want them choking if they're on their back, because um, then you have two crises now um, in first responders, at least in my county, no shade to them, but it can take up to like 30 to 45 minutes to get there. So um, one crisis is enough in that time frame. Uh, but at that point, you would just stay with that person. Um, it could take more than one dose of uh, naloxone to bring somebody back. Um, unfortunately, are hearing that that's normally the case. In Tillamook County, it takes typically anywhere from four to five doses um, to reverse an overdose. Um, however, there are still overdoses we hear that are reversed with one. Um, so you always start with one dose of naloxone and you wait two to three minutes at a minimum between each dose, really giving it time to work. You did already kind of mention what Narcan is. Can you also use it on pets or children? Yes, and right. So Narcan is safe for youth, for babies, infants, for pregnant people. It is safe for use on almost any human. There are very, very rare side effects. I've never heard of any during my trainings or heard of anyone sharing anything like that. So there are those very, very rare instances of that. 
It's not approved for use on animals. However, I was in a training um, at the end of last year, and one of our first responders, a fireman, uh, shared out that they use Narcan on a dog uh, during one of their calls recently, and it revived the animal. And then I shared this at another meeting recently, uh, and another uh, law officer uh, shared the same thing and said, oh, yeah, there was another call like that, and we used Narcan on the dog, and the dog came too. So... Um, I've heard of two anecdotal local stories of it being used, and I uh, I believe them um, just because of the science behind the way naloxone works in the brain and um, like how it goes to find the opioids and the receptors. But um, I am not going to be quoted on that because they're not okay. my stories. So if you give Narcan to somebody who's not overdosing, is it going to affect them in any way? Nope, it will cause absolutely no harm to someone who's not experiencing an overdose um, in the entire county of Tillamook. And honestly, I bet you throughout the entire state of Oregon, um, but especially here in Tillamook, I can speak for them um, on all calls where there is an unconscious person. Uh, first thing first responders do when they get on site is administer naloxone or Narcan. Um, it is safe. It will not harm anyone if you do not have opioids in your system. Um, and if you do have opioids in your system, it's going to give the paramedics or the EMS a better idea where they should start their care. Um, so especially if especially if you are with somebody and you call 911 and the EMS does show up and you're still with that person, the first thing you should explain to them is I have been here for two, 20 minutes. I have given three doses of Narcan, two, three minutes in between, we've done this much CPR, you're communicating all of that with them because it's going to give them an idea, okay, well, maybe it isn't an opioid overdose, maybe it's an overdose from this, and they can start on their processes a little bit better, like they just have a leg up in saving that life. And where can people find Narcan? Like, where do you get it? Uh, the state of Oregon, anybody can walk into any pharmacy and you can walk into any health agency and essentially the law says that any um, provider should be able to write you a prescription for naloxone and then you can go pick it up at your pharmacy. So when I say write you a prescription, that's usually what requires your insurance to kick in to pay for it. So if you have um, in it, if you have a, a prescription, typically almost all insurances will cover it. So then that's free. Um, in Tillamook County, anybody can walk into any Adventist Health location and ask for it at their front desk. Um, they have a community supply, and so it's at all of their front desks, so Manzanita, Pacific City, and in Tillamook proper, you can walk into any of those locations and ask for it at the front desk. I walked in and asked for a case, and they're like, yes, ma'am, um, and let me walk out with a ton. So uh, anyone can go there. And then there's also, I think, five or six locations in Tillamook County where we have Nalox boxes. Um, and so those are just, um, those are boxes that uh, are kept on the outside of buildings. So they're available 24 seven to anyone in Tillamook County or anyone anywhere who needs naloxone um, who can get to those locations. And so there's one outside of the health department's new public health building, um, and that's in Tillamook. There's one outside of Care Inc. in Tillamook, Serenity Club in Tillamook, um, Rising Heart Studio has one up here in Nehalem. Um, and, oh gosh. Oh, Tillamook Veterinary Hospital. That's another one. That's a newer one I just got put in. 
Um, and I'm really excited to have them um, have their box up there. Uh, they invited me in to do a training. Uh, they're pretty close to where uh, some of our camps are. Um, and they just want to kind of help however they can. Um, so they've been a really cool partner in getting that Nalox box put up and um, people have been using um, have been using it and taking Narcan from them, which is really great. For listeners who are not in Tillamook County, would you recommend maybe going to like the local hospital or health department? Yeah, I would say reach out to your health department if you have. I mean, I would also just look up if you have a local harm reduction agency. Um, depending on where you're at, especially if you're in a bigger city, uh, there's going to be a lot of nonprofits that can do this work that have put money into it. And those are going to be a better place for you to probably get free items. If you're closer, like the Portland area, Inside Out is amazing. Multnomah County's exchange and all of their resources are great, but Inside Out is really doing some amazing work. Um, they have a drug checking machine that is open to the public, so you can take your drugs there and get them tested. No, you know, anonymously, no judgment. Um, and it, it's really cool. They've got some really great um, advanced stuff going on with peers. Um, and they're Portland, so they have treatment and they have, you know, real referral loops that like lead places, which is amazing. So um, they're a really great advocate there. Um, but I just say reach out and look, do your research about who's doing local harm reduction um, in your area. Uh, we are very fortunate in Oregon to have the Good Samaritan Law that protects uh, anybody who responds to an overdose in good faith. Um, as well as folks who have, you know, certain, um, and it protects folks from certain drug uh, crimes as well, or, you know, penalties and things like that. Uh, it's really unfortunate because I have to make it very clear when I talk to people that that's Oregon's good Samaritan law. Um, Idaho just created laws that make it harder for general public to actually have and carry naloxone. I think only paramedics and licensed medical providers can now carry it around. So it's really scary what people are doing and what, like, why they're trying to police Narcan for whatever reason, but we're very fortunate to be able to um, have solutions in our own hands and take care of our neighbors. And so I think everyone, you know, if you are able to and you feel so inclined to, I think everyone should carry Narcan and, and know how to use it. I carry it always, all the time. One of the highlights of my bachelorette party is my bridesmaids took me on a scavenger hunt throughout Missoula. And we were on campus at the university and they had a Narcan booth and I was so excited and I Hell stocked yeah. up on Narcan and test strips and like everything. Yeah, all about it. You never know where you're going to find it. Super cool. You never yeah. know who you're going to run into who may need it. I've run into people out here like people want to act like it doesn't happen out here. I've been in restrooms where girlies are snorting stuff off of keys. Like it's happening here. It is here in these bars, right? Like it is happening in our community. And, you know, to turn a blind eye, it means that we would possibly lose a, a community member. And I'm just not, I'm not ready to do that because, you know, who am I to judge? Mm -hmm. Rachel, you're so good at entering into our segues. You've said the term harm reduction a few times. What is that? Oof. Um... I, harm reduction is loving people and meeting them where they're at. Um, it's a range of intentional practices that we do to lessen the negative social and physical consequences that are associated with substance use. So we we hold the exchange 
mainly in the way that we explain it to, you know, constituents and, you know, to our, our commissioners and stuff is that we're, we're reducing harm by reducing the prevalence of, of disease. So we help people not share supplies by exchanging it for them and getting them clean supplies. Um, we acknowledge that drug use is a part of our our community and that we don't have enough treatment or referral loops or those kinds of resources to take care of that. So we need to reduce the amount that it drags on the rest of our systems, like our hospital system. We need to make sure that, you know, folks aren't going to the hospital all the time for, you know, abscesses and wounds that are festering because they are, you know, sharing supplies with people. Um, you know, they have the right uh, ability to clean their own wounds without having to go to the ER every time they need something. Um, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, we have plenty of Narcan given to folks so they can reverse overdoses in their own community when they don't feel safe to call 911. You know, it's it's about acknowledging that people are self, what are they trying to say? So self-autonomy, right? That you get to be in charge of what's right for you. And we're just here to help educate and give you the tools you need to make your best choices. So our exchange is anonymous, it's free, and it's a, we, we like to consider it a safe place. So people come in and the only real, you know, lecturing, if you will, that we do at folks is we we give education on fentanyl and fentanyl test strips uh, when we give those out and just making sure people understand that fentanyl is in everything. Um, and then we talk about, you know, why we don't want people to share supplies. So we, you know, talk about how it can reduce the amount of abscesses and wounds and, you know, disease that is spread. And so those are the only two real touch points that we, if you will, push on to people um, the rest of it is just, okay, now what do you, what do you need? What are you working on? What, what can we help you with today? And a lot of the times for the first two or three, it's just, they come grab supplies. They barely look at us. Um, in our intake forms, we'll ask questions, you know, about what substances do you use and those things? And they'll say nothing, nothing, nothing. And then by the third, fourth, when we've held that space and we've created, you know, such a safe space, they come in and they finally are like, Okay, so I have a tooth and they'll open up their mouth and you get to, you know, see what what actually needs taken care of. And you're just like sitting there, you're like quietly in the back of your head, you're like, yes, I'm in. Like, because <laughs> you've built that rapport finally, because it's, you know, you and you know that every time they've come in, they've wanted to say something. They just don't know if they can trust you yet. So um, it's just building up that space, creating that safe space for people to come back to. Um, we don't hold people accountable to really anything but themselves. Um, everyone else is holding them accountable for everything and putting consequences and saying, if you don't do this, then this, that's not us. You can come see us or you don't have to. You can, you know, we won't see you for three months and you'll come in and we'll be like, hey, it's great to see you. What do you need today? You know, it's not like this big, well, where have you been? And this whole story, it's just, it's good to see you come on in. And it, you know, people feel safe in that space. So we just try to continue to create that because, you know, that's not not really being created anywhere else. And and it seemed to work. Uh, we just had a success story. Uh, really, unfortunately, um, when some of our exchangers don't come in for a few months, typically that means they've overdosed and passed. Um, and there was one that we hadn't seen for a while and we were getting really nervous and we reconnected with them pretty recently at a separate community event. 
and they were so excited to come up and share with me and Jennifer that they are no longer injecting drugs anymore. They've now switched to smoking, which is a safer choice for them. Um, they had all kinds of wounds and just some really, really unfortunate stuff going on um, because of the injecting. And they almost all but healed at this point because they have been, you know, abstaining from, you know, injecting and have switched to a safer method because they felt, you know, they were safe to do so and, you know, excited to share that with us. And that is a huge win for us um, in terms of harm reduction is that, you know, this person is happy with their choice and they're doing better because of it. And at some point, I'm sure it will lead to them abstaining from use altogether if that's what makes sense to them. And if it's not, we're still beyond excited for them. That's awesome. Rachel, I appreciate the work that you do so much and your attitude while you do it too. It's oh, great. Thank you. Well, it's my community. You know, I want to give back. I live here. And the more I give back to it, the better my neighbors are for me and the better my community is. So it just, you know, it all adds into it. And I mean, it's just, it's people like us. Cause I mean, you do it too. <laughs> like it's people like us that are going to change this community for the better. And like, they need us. They do. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, Rachel, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Just, you know, support harm reduction, love people who use drugs you know, and take care of each other. Look out for your neighbors. Perfect. Rachel, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And again, appreciate all the work that you do. No, of course. Thank you so much for having me. In our county, three people overdosed during that interview, by the way. They survived, thankfully, but just goes to show how prevalent it is, especially in our community. So hopefully you all learned a lot from this episode. I always, of course, because it's a podcast, I have to ask people to share it, but if you're going to share any episode, share this one for real because people need to know the facts. Again, thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest a topic, you can email me at killelizabeth.pod at gmail.com. And in the notes, I've got some resources for addiction services and a video on how to administer Narcan. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. See you next month.